Hey, I'm Sanjay. Welcome to Wisegrad. Episode number 18, how students are navigating issues of racism and discrimination in college. Let's go. everyone, I'm your host Saint Sanj. Welcome to episode number 18. Thank you for clicking play and not clicking next. I'm happy that you're listening to this episode of WiseGrad. I'm happy that you're interested in this topic. And I'm also happy that WiseGrad has listeners from over 49 countries. When I started this podcast about a year ago, I never expected it to grow this much. Of course, I wanted it to. But in the space of time that uh, WiseGrad has been alive, I never expected it to grow this much. So thank you all for listening and thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. Always remember you can head to wisegrad.org to follow the episodes. You can subscribe. Well, let's not just say you can. Please subscribe to the episodes, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform so you can know when a new episode is available. And always remember this podcast is to help students thrive. So if you know someone who is a student, someone who's going to become a student, uh, whether it's master's level, bachelor's level, PhD, there's always something on WiseGrad on the whole platform that can help one student. So always share it with your friends. So here we are on episode number 18 talking about issues of racism and discrimination on college campuses. And unfortunately, this has become a really common occurrence all over the world, some places more than others. But it seems as if racists are raising their ugly head all over. It could also be the fact that we are now pointing out these issues more often. And that is something good because we're really calling out people who are insensitive to different cultures and, I mean, just totally wrong in their approach to people uh, being different from them. But before you listen further to this episode, I want to say to you, if you have faced uh, such an issue in your life, in your school life, uh, work life, or if you've had a racist encounter, I want you to seek whatever counseling service is available to you, speak to a friend, speak to a family member, and find how best you can get support for your mental health. These things are draining, and a lot of us are tired of it. Even I am tired of hearing about these issues. It's, it's draining to some of us more than others. But people are there to support you. I'm here to support you too. You see, this episode was really inspired by a situation that happened with me when I was in college. So we were here in the college dorm in the lounge area where everyone is invited, everyone is supposed to be you know, free and happy and there should be no discrimination. So we were playing this word association game. And in the game, I think it was called code names. One person is to describe an image and they should describe this image as close as possible without giving it away right when without using certain words so for example there are 10 images on the table and that person needs to describe a pair right there's a photo of a pair a black and white photo of a pair and they need to say fruit green you know tasty stuff like that and then someone would say okay it's the pear. 
So in this situation, one girl, she was from Germany. Can't remember her name, but that doesn't really matter. So she was there and she was describing a photo. And her first, <laughs> well, she was supposed to say one word, but she said two. And she said black man. Now we're all looking at this table for what is black man? Is there a black man on the table? There were no black men on the table. All right, all right, we're wondering, okay, what is she leaning towards? And she kept going, black man, black man. That's her word or her words. So then we said, all right, you're kind of breaking the rules because you use two words. You should use one, not black man. Use something else. The girl went on to say the N-word. All right. <laughs> and then judging from what she said, which was very racist, there was a photo of a monkey on the table. A monkey in an astronaut suit. He had a helmet, something like that. Maybe a bike rider. I think it was an astronaut. And that was her association with black men. And she said this. She said this five or six times so that we could all hear clearly that she was saying the N-word. And she said it so freely and casually. Mind you, I was the only black person in the room. Uh, one of two colored persons in the room, but the only black person, the only black man in that room. Now, to add something else to this story, this was from someone I knew. Okay, and I remember her name now. This is someone I knew and I thought I knew quite well, good enough. We've eaten together. We've, I think we've had drinks together too. But I never knew <laughs> that she was someone who would really use a racist term and use it so loosely and freely really carefree and feel as if she had done nothing wrong of course after the situation when i called it out and i reprimanded her and pretty much anyone else who uh, was agreeing with her that it was okay to do that she was led to tears and crying barely apologetic but still crying as if she did nothing wrong and she was now the victim in the situation now, what happened after this was that a guy by the name of Mark heard about the situation and came in defense of the girl that she is free to use whatever discriminatory word she wants to use and however she wants to use it. And to express that, he came to my Facebook message and said, what's up, N-word? Plain and clear as day. <laughs> when I responded and called him a racist, I mean, a racist is a racist and that's what he was. He had this pre-written, I think it was like three paragraph text defending himself saying that it's not racist for him to use the N-word because he's a, an avid listener of rap music and he's from the Netherlands and you know this sort of free speech is there and this is how people there are. And I mean I'd be as stupid as him if I ever thought that okay all Dutch people are racist. Uh, I mean I would never do such a thing again. That's stupid, but judging from, judging from his logic, that's what I'm supposed to believe. But here's the thing. Students more than likely will encounter people like these. And when I was coming to Sweden, let's say coming to Sweden for my studies, I was mentally prepared for this. And this is something that many students of color have to do when they travel. They have to think, Okay, how racist is this city? How likely will it be for me to have a discriminatory event? A little situation where someone will discriminate? A little racist situation here and there. How big will it be? Many students research this. You can Google the terms. Students research this before they go places. People 
in general, not just students, research this before they travel, before they go into Airbnb. And it's quite unfortunate. But here's the thing. When a student encounters such an issue, like what happens? What does the university do to support that student? I'd like to welcome to Wisegrad a young man who has done research in this area and he can give us some insights into what universities can do and he can even speak about his personal experiences with this issue. Now unfortunately, Shelby was racially profiled while he attended an academic event in British Columbia, Canada. I can read you the headline from CBC News. Man banned for racially profiling black Nova Scotia student at British Columbia meeting. The investigator finds Acadia student was implicitly accused without justification of stealing a laptop. A national academic group has banned a man from attending its annual meeting for three years after a probe found he showed unconscious bias against a black graduate student who faced false allegations of stealing a laptop. Can you imagine? Shelby McPhee, welcome to Wisegrad. Hi, Sanj. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really excited to be here. Um, thank you again for the opportunity. Um, well, let me give an introduction of myself. My name is uh, Shelby McPhee. I am from the Bahamas. That means that I am Bahamian. I studied at Acadia University. I have my master's degree in political science. My research interests are in race, gender, and development. So I'm mostly interested in the kinds of uh, injustices that take place um, in international development work as it pertains or as at the intersection of race and gender. Um, my thesis or my final uh, research paper at Acadia University was about voluntourism. Um, and that was basically about young people going from the Western world over to um, the other world, you know, to save and civilize or to serve, as they like to say, um, the less fortunate um, in the world. Shelby highlighted something that I think happens to many students when they go abroad to study or to travel. Anyone really. Especially if you're going to a country where the population doesn't really look like majority of your population back home. And that is the you are different. And this can be positive and this can be very negative. And unfortunately, the negative situations are more common than we think. So when I first arrived at Acadia University, I knew that I was black i think i had always had an inclination as to knowing that i was black um but i did not know i guess the extent to which my my blackness was or i guess i didn't really fully conceptualize how important race was uh as an organizer in society until i got to acadia um, getting there and being surrounded by white people, being surrounded by the different ways of doing, the different ways of being, and coming from a predominantly black country where I grew up with black people, going into this white town and into this predominantly white institution, you know, was number one, a culture shock, and number two, it was really different, particularly when I realized that I could not do the kinds of things that I would generally do before. I remember my first, um, I guess my first encounter 
um, with racism at Acadia was when I was waiting in the front of our library um, and it was very late at night and they were and campus police were walk, was walking through the building trying to I guess close down the building um, and he saw me standing in the front of the building and he he approached uh, the door where I was standing and then he turned around and somebody else came um, and they, the, both of them approached me um, and while one was approaching me the other had put his hand on his, his holster um, and they you know wanted to know what I was doing there why was I hanging around so late um, and I was waiting on a friend and they asked me and they you know forced me to produce ID this was one of the first times that I had come in contact with you know, an act of racism um, where the black person or the black man or where the black body was seen as a threat. Um, and there were many other instances that I had come into contact at Acadia. And many black students, many students of color, many minority students, they know that these issues have been brewing for quite a while. So I asked Shelby, what are we seeing now? What's really happening? What we are seeing now, Sanj, is the reality that these things have always been happening in the university. Um, black people have always been seen as a threat, have always been seen as lesser than, has always been seen and treated as unimportant um, outside of a picture here, a picture there, a diversity link here, um, and an inclusive policy here to get funding, we've always been seen as second-class students um, on the campus. And because we live in an age of technology and an age where everything can be recorded and where there are witnesses and more people are becoming aware of the situation, universities are now being put in a position where they have to do the work. And I think what we're seeing here is universities, some universities are really trying their hardest to do the work and to do the work of, of decolonizing, to do the work of you know working through their internal bias, working through their real systemic racism um, and policies of racism in their institution. And that sometimes looks more than just having a diversity training. It, it looks more than just having, uh, you know, a week of black studies honors or a week of, you know, black history, right? That looks like real work, like changing how our, how the top looks, changing who sits around our, bar, our board, putting more people of color in faculty, putting more black people as professors, ensuring that there is an adequate ratio of black teachers to black students, ensuring that funding is going to black students for scholarship rather than just athleticism, right? Real uh, change is coming to real institutions and some institutions are doing the real change and the real work of decolonizing. So what about the other institutions? I mean, as it stands, since these issues have become viral or global and are being recorded everywhere and people are being held accountable, it's as if every school is making a statement. You know, every school is saying something. All the admins are saying something. But what do you think about those other institutions then where you can't see the change? I mean, right now. Other institutions, I think, Sanj, that aren't doing the work, that are just, you know, performing decolonization. They're just putting out statements that say we stand with black people. They put up a tile that's black and say we support black lives. That's performance, right? 
where there is no action, it's just performance. And I think we are seeing institutions that are actually really trying to do the work, um, but then there are some that are just performing it. Um, and I think that performance has got to transform into real action um, in order for them to really do the work of decolonizing and moving the institution to the next level and moving the institution from a place of, of, of um, just saying we love black people to showing we love black people. You know, Dr. Cornell West says that justice is what love looks like in public, right? If you love me, show me. If you want me there, show me. Make me feel it, right? In the book, When Race Breaks Out, conversations about race and racism in college, Helen Fox speaks about how racism undermines the life chances of people of color in every societal institution. For example, even in the workplace, there are racial barriers to hiring and promotions, routine drug testing, and criminal background checks based on stereotypes. So that leaves a big question in my head and a question I think many people are asking. What are the practical things that universities can do right now to alleviate the situation for students of color? I think, Sanj, one of the things that universities can do to really deal with this issue of structural racism um, and move toward decolonization of the institution is to really begin to engage in those hard discussions, right? Um, look at it from a critical perspective. Look at the institution from a critical perspective. Do the work of engaging with those hard conversations and start to, most importantly, put their money where their mouth is. Move from just a commitment to action, right? Like, I'm committing a um, million dollars to anti-racism work on campus, uh, but move from, move from commitment to real work, right? And with that real work, you should always think about the survivors of these situations. Having them relive this situation over and over again, it's its probably the worst thing you could do from a psychological perspective, from any perspective at all. The issue with that, Sanj, is that when survivors of racial instances in predominantly white places have to continuously tell their story or have to even tell their story to a group of white people, what it does is it, it assages their guilt. And so it makes them feel, well, I didn't do this and I've never done something like this, so I must not be racist, right? It's not productive. It is actually counterproductive to the, the, to the conversation of anti-racism work, right? And I think that We've got to move past asking people to constantly relive and constantly tell that story. The story is important for us to dissect and to see the injustice that happened and to see where the institution needs to do the work. But what happens when we don't believe the survivor and constantly ask them to relive that is injustice in and of itself. One thing I believe is that once you open your doors uh, as a university or when you open the doors to international students, to diverse populations, and I mean, it's 2020, once you open your doors, you should be able to accommodate international students. You should be able to accommodate diverse students with diverse situations. It's unfortunate that these situations occur. But it's best if the institution and the students' union is prepared to face these challenges when they come and not stress the victim. It's not just about pledging that you'll do the work. It's about 
doing the work. Amplissage, uh, Acadia University, where I came from, uh, had pledged to hire a black student advisor for black students. It was one of the things that we had called for, the Black Student Association had called for at Acadia. We went through months and months and months and months and months of discussions. And Acadia had finally said that they would, you know, give us what we wanted and hire a black student advisor because of the rising levels of, of racism on campus and because of the rising levels of, of depression among students coming to university from a predominantly black country, from predominantly black countries. Sanj, they pledged, they announced that they would hire the black student advisor. We have yet to see it. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if another student said it was a similar situation in their university where the university is pretty slow to act on these issues and slow to put in proactive measures to help students who are at some disadvantage while they're studying. My hope is that many of these schools and many of these institutions and workplaces would stop playing the PR stunt and actually put it in work to protect the mental health of their employees and of their students. As it's 2020 and everyone is waking up, and everyone is more aware of these situations. I'd like to thank Shelby for giving some insight on his experience and what universities can do to help students who are facing these challenges. And I hope this episode will motivate students to go out there and speak up for what is right. Speak to your admin, speak to your professor, speak to everyone you need to speak to and also help students who are under the pressures of these issues these issues are real many students face them and it's unfortunate because all of us just want to learn and learn in peace well thank you for listening to this episode of wisegrad there are many more episodes to come but thank you for clicking play and not clicking next I'm St. Sanj. You can head to wisegrad.org to find all episodes. You can subscribe to Wisegrad on every podcast platform. And you can find Wisegrad on YouTube. I hope you're taking care of your mental health and you're also supporting the friends around you who may be in need. I'm St. Sanj signing out. You can find me on Instagram at St. Sanj, S-A-I-N-T-S-A-N-J. And please follow Wisegrad on Instagram. The handle is at Wisegrad. Wisegrad is also on Twitter. Wisegrad is everywhere. So please share this podcast with your friend. Uplift them. Give them something good to listen to today. As we say in Jamaica, what good? Or as everybody else says it, goodbye.